I've been giving a lot of thought these days to the topics of the last few Sundays and, and, and how God has rescued us from ourselves, his empowering gifts to us. I mean, it's an interesting, captivating sort of series title. And I've been thinking about the reality of those gifts that God has given to us, the reality of his gift of son and of his spirit, of hope and of love. And those things have been sinking down deeper into my life these days. And it's prompted a question I'm asking of myself, and one that I want to ask of you as well. Have you ever received a gift that left you speechless or caused you to weep tears of gratitude? I mean, when I asked myself that question, the very first thought that came to mind was the birth of every one of my kids, right? I mean, there's, there's just something there, it's just gratitude. It's like, oh my, wow, what am I going to do now? You know, kind of thing. This is amazing. And there's a sense of, is there any way that I might respond in an appropriate way to the beautiful gift that I have received? All of a sudden, the center of my focus shifts. It's changed, because my life has changed. I thought about, what else might do that for us? I thought maybe, maybe someone's had their life saved from, by someone else, you know? That at one very specific point in time, someone else's intervention saved your life, and you're alive today because of that. If that's the case, then, you know, every time you embrace a loved one, every sunrise, every sunset, every experience is kind of like this wonderful moment of like, wow, I wouldn't get this otherwise. The center of your focus changes because your life has changed. As I look back over my life, I realize that, that there aren't many things that I put on this list, not at all. And as I look back over the last couple of weeks, I've been thinking, yeah, this list needs to be added. And what needs to be added to it are the gifts that we've been talking about these last few weeks. Romans 7, we are hopelessly stuck in our sin and we can't get out of it on our own. I picture Brentley on that lug wrench jumping up and down and that bolt's not moving. Remember that story? It was beautiful, Brentley. Very, very vivid. You know, we can't get out of it. And so God sends his son to forgive us through his death on the cross, to move us from our stuckness. And because we have the son, Romans chapter 8, God also gives us the spirit. And because we have the spirit, we are now enabled to live a joyfully empowered life instead of one that is filled with legalistic drudgery. And through the Holy Spirit, now God gives us the gift of a real hope. It's a certainty that God's goodness does indeed exist side by side with our struggles and our suffering. Those things are, are, are together. Because God uses all things, including the struggles that we have, to fulfill his purpose of conforming us to the likeness of his son. And so now, coming off this idea of a hope that cannot be shaken, we move now to the final gift, which is the love that can never be lost. Do you feel the impact of these things? Do you sense the stunning sense of how this just changes our lives? I mean, I mean, you think about it. A child is somewhat something that you can hold and see every day. Uh, an extended lifespan is something that you experience every day. But there's something about these gifts that kind of has them fade off into the background a little bit. And we fail to recognize what they are. So when that happens, our, our gratitude begins to drain. And we begin to drift from being rightly centered on what God has done. We begin to drift from how his gifts change our lives.
And so I've been praying that today might become an opportunity to correct any sort of drift that you or I may have experienced over time. So we've already asked the Spirit to help us listen well. Be, be, be open to His work in your life today as we go through this message. We'll be bringing the Scripture to bear in a very simple way. And with that, we want to walk through Paul's conclusion to the final verses of Romans chapter 8. As we get here to verse 31, keep in mind those gifts we've already received. That Paul has already talked about receiving the gift of the Son, or the gift of the Spirit, and the gift of this hope. With all this in mind, we come to verse 31. Paul says, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously, along with him, give us all things? What then shall we say? Or how can we respond in light of all these things that God has given? Obviously, God is for us, right? And if God is for us, who can be against us? God is for you. He's not against you. He's working for you. And what I think that means in some respects is, is that he, he's not on your side now. He hasn't shifted to be on your side to give you what you want. He has brought you to his side to provide for you what you need. And there's a difference there. He is for you. Like a loving father who gives of his time and his energy and his expertise to help a child excel in a particular area. Like a devoted mother who stays up really late to help a child process through pain or work through a scary moment. God wants you to know his best in this fallen, broken world because he is for you. If you have any doubt about that, just look at the gift of his son. <laughs> if God gave his son, this is what Paul is saying, if God gave his son, who, by the way, allows you now to have the spirit and unshakable hope and eternal love, if God gave his son, which is the very best gift he could give, if God gave his son, would he withhold something lesser from you? No, not at all. God is for you. In fact, he's so for you that he vigorously defends you. Verse 33, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is, seated, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. I mean, picture yourself in a courtroom, okay? You play the role of the defendant who has been accused of some kind of heinous crime. And as the prosecuting attorney begins to rip into you with incontrovertible evidence against you, the judge suddenly interrupts him and says, hold on, no, 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 no. looks you in the eye and says, what are you doing here? You're already cleared of all this mess. Go in peace. Next. You've been justified. By giving you faith in what Jesus has done for you on the cross, God has declared you to be like his son, pure, holy, and victorious with a full access into his presence. If the one with all power and authority has justified you, who can, who can make a charge stick to you? Who can condemn you? Now, someone may try to do that, but their voice holds no power at all. Now, if you're like me, there are some voices in your head too. Folks that have accused you in the past. Maybe it's the parent who berated you. Maybe it's the 
teacher who flunked you. Maybe it's the coach who benched you. Maybe it's the friends who belittled you. I don't know who it is, but their voices echo in your mind. Please remember that those voices that echo in your mind hold no sway with God. He's not listening to them. The problem is we do. And that's our issue. Because we have to choose who we're going to believe. Do we believe God's voice? Or those voices that we hold on to from our past? There's another voice that we often listen to as well. One that we give a lot of authority to. One that has more authority than God in our lives. And that's our own voice. So we accuse and we condemn ourselves because we know what we've done. We know what goes through our brains. We feel unlovable. We feel unworthy. And we think we know how God's going to respond to that. The very first verse of Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The condemnation others lay upon us and the condemnation we lay upon ourselves will not stick because God's not listening to it. And then just to, to layer one truth upon the another, Paul continues and tells us that Jesus, the one who died for us, the one who was raised for us, is at the place of honor at God's right side. And he is interceding. He's pleading for us. You can almost, you can almost picture it. Just use your imagination a little bit. You know, There's Jesus standing there next to the Father. And someone comes before him and Jesus leans over and says, don't listen to the accuser on this one. He has my blood on him. I purchased him. I bought him. He's mine. Amen. And then he leans over again and says, you see her? She has my life flowing through her. She's beautiful and precious in my sight. She's mine. That's justification. The judge has declared you not guilty. And your defense attorney has the judge's ear and an unanswerable argument in your favor. Don't miss this gift. God is for you. But not only is God for you, he's also with you. Take a look at verses 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or dangerous sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul says, no. In all these things we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can ever separate us from the love of God found in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is with you and says, and nothing can separate you from his love. We could easily add to that first list Paul gives us with anything that we experience that's hard. Nothing can separate you. Not... Um, Shame or poverty, not COVID or cancer, not economic downturn or inflation, not a devastating loss. No matter what you're experiencing, you can plug that right in there. And it will not separate you from God's love. Now, the suffering that we do feel can make us feel like we're separated from God and from his love. 
But that's not what's really going on. And that's why Paul brings in this strange little phrase about we're like sheep considered to be slaughtered. You know, He's referring back to Psalm 44. And this is not the first time he's done this. It shows up several times in Romans 8, but this is the most obvious one. In Psalm 44, the psalmist is expressing his love for God and how he seeks to follow God and how he's been following God and how he's been obedient to God. And so why are all these bad things happening to him? I'm following your ways, I'm doing what you want me to do, and yet the enemy has conquered us and we are suffering. Listen to the last three verses of this psalm. It's powerful stuff. He says, why do you, speaking to God, why do you look the other way? Why do you ignore our suffering and oppression? We collapse in the dust, lying face down in the dirt. He's having a hard day. And then listen to the last verse. Rise up, help us ransom, or another translation is redeem us because of your unfailing love. The psalmist knows that God's unfailing love is going to have the last word in this. So whatever he's feeling now, God is going to take it and use it in a way that accomplishes God's purpose. And that's why Paul refers back to Psalm 44. Paul is saying that God's unfailing love will overcome every struggle we have. And we can be sure of this because it's part of his character. It's who he is. God's unfailing love for us assures us that he will finish the work of conforming us to the image of his son in the most amazing and mysterious way he even uses the struggles in our life to accomplish his purpose. If you missed Pastor David's sermon last week, I want to encourage you to go back, pull it off the archives and listen to it. Uh, some powerful stuff in the verses that just precede this. They're really closely knitted, as you can tell. You can, you can hear the connection between them. But pull it off the, off the internet and just listen to it again and just hear what the Lord might have for you through that. Romans 4 tells us that we believe in a God who calls things that are not as though they were. So God calls us righteous, holy, and victorious, even though we don't feel like we are, because God is looking at his son's life in us. We've died and our life is now hidden with Christ in God. In other words, Christ's life is fully ours, but not yet fully experienced. It's, it's now hidden with Christ in God. It's not fully seen. It's not fully realized. But, Christ, but when Christ, who is our life, appears, we also will appear with him in glory. In other words, when Christ returns, then everything that's now hidden in him is going to be revealed in us, and it will be known in its fullness. That's why the Apostle John, in his first epistle, says that we will see him as he is because we will be like him. Philippians 1.6, God is going to complete the work he began on the day of Christ. Nothing can stop it. Not even the hard things we may experience. God is for us. God is with us. And Paul says that we are more than conquerors through the God who loves us. No matter what we might face, <laughs> we've already won. Because no one can take these gifts away from us. The Christian languishing in a foreign jail cell because of his or her faith has already won. The grandparent slipping away from dementia has won. The father being removed from the ventilator, the mother on her deathbed, the, the business person standing in the ashes of everything that has been lost, no matter what it might be. Paul says you've already won. 
Nothing can take the victory away from them or from us or from anyone with faith in Christ. God is for you. God is with you. And God's love will not fail you, no matter what kind of circumstance you might face. So pick up the, uh, the little plastic chalice that you have that has a little piece of bread in it and a splash of grape juice. If you don't have this yet, some folks are going to be coming down the center and side aisles and they've got some baskets. If you prefer one that is gluten-free, please just let them know that. They can let you have that. If you don't have it, just raise your hand and they'll bring it to you. Just take a look at this with me for a moment. It doesn't look like much. <laughs> in fact, it's Presentation is less than appealing, kind of like two-day-old toast, you know. It's kind of <laughs> but for a minute, for a minute, join with me in looking past the form to what this symbolizes and what this represents. The bread. God is for you. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also? along with him, graciously give us all things. If God did not, did not withhold the very best he had in the Son, the bread, his body broken for us, if he didn't withhold the, from us the very best he had, he's not going to hold back anything else from us either. The bread, his body, broken that his sacrificed life might become a payment, covering the debt we owed for the sin that we carry have you ever received this gift? Have you ever reached out to embrace it in full? God is for you. He wants you to have it. Now, he is not on your side to give you what you want. He's brought you to his side to provide what you need. And he's given us everything. He holds nothing back. Ephesians says that every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is ours in Christ Jesus. He is for you. And he wants you to know his best. Then turn the chalice over and see the cup. This cup and the juice it contains and the covenant it points to assures you of God's forgiveness and binds you to God through a covenant, through Christ, for eternity. That's what it points to. The Father has justified you, the Son defends you, and no matter what you may think, there's no condemnation leveled against you now because of what Jesus has done for you. God is not just for you. He's also with you, and nothing can separate you from his love. Now, this holy meal, of course, is intended for Christ's disciples, for those who profess with their mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. So if you're with us today and you've yet, not yet made that step across that line, we're so glad you're here. Welcome. We're grateful to have you here with us. At the same time, I want to just encourage you to simply observe what takes place and be open to what God might be wanting to say to you today. If you are here and you have crossed over that line, you do know that, that Jesus is Lord, that he did rise from the dead for your sake, that you might also rise from the dead. If you do believe that and have professed that, then I want to encourage you, no matter what your feeling is about your faith, 
I don't care if you think your faith is feeble, if it's shallow, if it's frail, if it's faulty, if it doesn't feel like it's strong, if it feels like it's got more doubts than if it feels like it's a mustard seed. Please, if Jesus is your Lord, be part of this meal. He really wants you to receive this. Don't deny yourself of it. For Jesus intended for you to receive this tangible reminder and this spiritual blessing. As we enter into this time, I want to invite you to just, just, just sit where you are and listen to the scripture again. The scripture of how God is for us. And when I finish reading those verses, we'll take the time to eat the bread together. And then we'll listen to the verses again about how God is with us. And then we'll drink the cup together. And finally, as I started the sermon, my guess is that there's still a number of distractions that are going on in our hearts today. There's a lot happening. So please, join with me in just for five minutes, blocking it out. It'll be back. <laughs> It'll be waiting for you when we finish this time. But please, give your full attention to what this symbolizes, what God is doing, and what he may be saying to you today. Please pray with me. Lord, we know our failure and our weaknesses. Help us today to know your success and your sufficiency for us. Through your word and through this sacrament, would you, would you please help us to see how you receive us in your love, in your unearned, undeserved, unfathomable love for us? And help us take another step to more fully receive every gift you have given. Through your word and through your sacrament, help us receive from you the grace we need this day in your name.